Our text this evening comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. We'll read verses 19 to 24. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light of that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and Maimon. This further reading of God's word. Jesus is continuing here his exposition, his preaching on the Sermon on the, on the Mountain, the famous sermon, and now he moves to speak of what we are seeking, what we are striving for, what we are pursuing in our lives, or what we are worried about the most in our lives. In other words, what is our relationship with this world and with God himself? And he's going to exemplify through possessions or treasures to examine what we are serving, what we are pursuing, and what is our chief end in life to show the tension between serving God and his kingdom and living this world that will perish. We cannot serve both God and earth, both God and the world at the same time. And Jesus gives both negative and positive aspects of these two kingdoms to show that it's foolish to pursue things in this earth that will be destroyed. On the other hand, we should be pursuing God's kingdom first, and there is great, great reward if we do so. Jesus is, in other words, refocusing our vision or correcting the lenses that we see the world around us, helping us to see God and heaven in the first place changing our eyes from earth to heaven. Seeking treasures or serving this world is foolishness. And Jesus knows how we can get so entangled with the world that we are living in that we so very often forget heaven. We become absorbed with things instead of pursuing God. And for this reason, Jesus is calling us to seek the eternal things, not the temporal things that will perish in the end. And in this passage particularly, there are a lot of truths. He speaks of two treasures, two wives, two masters. And with all these truths, he wants to teach us that we cannot be looking at two things at the same time. We cannot be aiming at two things at once. We cannot serve God and the world at the same time. We cannot serve two gods. And he commands us to seek God above all. So the three points are very straightforward. He will speak of the two treasures, verses 19 to 21. 
the two eyes, 22 and 23, and finally the two masters, verse 24. So first of all, let's consider the two treasures that he speaks about. And he, he gives both the negative and the positive aspects. So he starts with the negative, speaks of treasures on earth, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And this, wor- this word treasures would originally refer to a box or a hole in the ground where people would place their goods, their belongings, or whatever they would think it's valuable for them. So they would place these things on this box, on this chest, or a hole in the ground. And with time, this word is starting referring to, in general, treasures, meaning whatever you think is precious to you. And whatever you find most precious or worth keeping and protecting, that is your treasure. So whatever you pursue, whatever you think is worth keeping, that is your treasure. And he speaks of this treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. These refer to the two most common belongings at the ancient world, fancy clothes and precious metal, the two things that people would keep or find to be precious the most. And fancy clothes was frequently ruined by moth, and the later precious metal was lost by stealing. And we don't know exactly what it means today, perhaps, to have our clothes ruined by moth, simply because we don't keep clothes that long anymore. But at that time, clothes would be even part of inheritance, so the, the uh, father would give to his son a piece of cloth, a garment, or something that was very precious from generation to generation. But with time, even that piece of cloth would be ruined by moth. Or a precious metal would then be stolen by someone else. And the point here is very simple. It is foolishness to keep a treasure here because you will lose it one way or the other. Regardless of how well you manage to keep this, at certain time, you will lose it one way or the other. You cannot keep it forever. And we don't know exactly how loose these things can be important, but in the ancient world, that was all they had. All their possessions were related to physical things. Now we have our money in the bank accounts, but for them, this was all they had. But Jesus contrasts this with placing our treasure in heaven, the positive aspect. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So first of all, he's not telling us not to have a treasure. He's not telling us not to have a treasure anywhere, but he is actually telling us to have a treasure, but that treasure has to be in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. It cannot be eroded. It cannot be taken away from you, and it's going to be to remain with you forever. So different than having treasures on earth where you lose it, if you have treasures in heaven, it will be with you forever. So the big question is, how do we store treasures in heaven I mean, that is clear. If I can have a treasure forever, I would prefer to have that treasure. But how? 
How do we store up treasures in heaven? Well, we saw in, last, in our last prayer meeting from Luke chapter 16, how one can be welcome in the kingdom of heaven. We saw how one way to be welcome in the kingdom of heaven is to actually, on this earth, help our brothers, not only with material things, but helping by sharing the gospel with them. That is, if we want to be, have people happy to see us in heaven, we should be helping them here on this earth with material things, but especially by sharing the gospel with them. So this is one way to store up treasures in heaven. Notice that we are not doing these things in order to get to heaven. That is, by, by creating a treasure in heaven, that is not what buys buy our tickets to heaven. But because we are going to heaven, then we want to store up treasures there. That is, our way to heaven was bought by the blood of Jesus. And now, because he did that, so we want to pursue a treasure in heaven. Because we are going there, now we want to have a treasure there to store up treasures and glorify his name. And the conclusion comes in verse 21, that your heart determines where your treasure is. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then the question for us is, what have been our priorities in life? What have been our treasures in this life? Where are our priorities? Where is our heart? Verse 21 functions as an introduction, given the foundation that defines our living or our nature of living in this world. Whatever our treasure is will determine how we live in this world. That will be our, our compass, our guide on how to live in this world. What we pursue, what we keep, what we put effort on, that will be our guide. As Plummer said, we must store our wealth above in order that our hearts may be drawn upwards. The two act and react upon one another. So if we have treasures in heaven, we'll be drawn to heaven, we'll look up to heaven, and our whole lives will be shaped, will be guided by wanting to live in heaven and store up treasures in heaven. But if our treasure is on earth, then our whole lives will be drawn to earth and things in this earth. The more treasure you put somewhere, the more your heart will be drawn there. And the more your heart is drawn there, the more you want to put treasures there. So it's a cycle, one feeding the other more and more. Either you love earth and your heart will be here or you love heaven and your heart will be there also. Your treasure is where your heart is and that will control and dictate your whole life. It will dictate what you think, what you desire, what you speak, what is the topic of your conversations, what you labor for, what you pursue, and ultimately what you find comfort in. These are the things that can tell you, that can give you a diagnosis of your heart to tell what is your heart, what are your treasures, what are the things that you are pursuing, the things you are laboring for, where do you find comfort? That is a way to do a heart exam, to ask these questions. Everybody is pursuing a treasure. Everyone is laying up a treasure somewhere and somehow. Jesus does not tell us not to have a treasure, but to pursue one 
in the right place. A key to knowing where you're storing up a treasure is to know where you are looking at. And that's our second point, the two eyes that he speaks about. Verses 22 and 23. The point of this section is that the eye determines the body's light. The eye doesn't produce a light, but it's through the eyes that we can see the world around us. So it's just like a lamp that allows us to, to see the world around us. Our eyes allow us to see. So the eye is what prevents us from bumping into things on the way or from falling from a cliff or from being hit by a car. So it's thanks to the eyes that we can see the dangers around us and we can walk away in this world. So first he gives the positive aspect. He, he flips now the order and he gives the positive aspect. He speaks of the good eye in which there is plenty of light. Verse 22. The light of the body of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So your body, your whole body benefits from the eye. The whole body benefits from this little organ in our eyes. Just as little lights benefits a whole room, a whole room can be enlightened by a small light. Our whole body benefits from our eyes. The whole body becomes full of light. It becomes radiant, exuberant with light if our eyes are good. And then in the negative side, uh, the bad eye, which is full of darkness, verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. I mean, the opposite is also true. If your eye be evil, your whole body is going to be evil, full of darkness. That is very simple. And it's very simple to find, to make an experiment to realize this as well. I'm sure those who here have little kids or who had little kids sometime in the past have, a, have tried to walk into their rooms in the middle of the night without making noise to double-check something. But that is when you actually start bumping into things and making even more noise because you cannot see. And when you cannot see, that you start harming yourself. You start getting injured. It's hard to walk when you can't see. If the eye is bad, you end up hurting yourself, damaging the whole body. So the whole body suffers when the eye is bad. If your little eyes go bad, the whole body suffers. And the conclusion is in the second part of verse 23. If therefore that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Dark eyes equal great darkness. But then, how do we read this in context? I mean, it sounds pretty obvious, verse 22 and 23, right? Okay, if I have a good eye, the whole body will be well, because I will know how to navigate, how to walk. And the opposite is true. If I have a bad eye, the whole body will suffer. But what does it mean spiritually? How do I read this in context? What is this healthy, uh, healthy eye seeing anyway? It's definitely not referring to how, how to walk in the midst of my daughter's messy bedroom. So what is so important that a healthy eye should be seen that a dark eye cannot see? Well, the context is, gives the answer. A healthy eye sees heaven. More especially, 
A healthy eye sees heaven as the most valuable treasure that there is. On the other hand, a bad eye sees earth. And for a bad eye, the most valuable treasure that there is will be on this earth. The valuable lesson from this is that having this good lamp, good eyes, will prevent us from getting hurt in so many different ways. We prevent the whole body from harming itself, from damaging itself in so many different ways. And ultimately, from destroying itself. That's what it means to be cast into the darkness, to be consumed by darkness. That's what Philippians 3 verse 8 says. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, rubbish, that I may win Christ. Do you see how heaven, your eyes on heaven, shields you from suffering loss on this earth? It's having our eyes on eternity that prevents us from having any kind of loss in this earth. Because we'll know that whatever we lose here, that means nothing. That is rubbish compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ. So it's having good eyes, having our eyes set in the right place that will protect our whole bodies from suffering, even in our pilgrimage upon this earth. Protects you even from the fear of death. Also, Philippians chapter 1, 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, there is nothing they can steal from us. There is nothing that can be eroded from us because our treasure is in heaven. So for me to live is Christ and to die, even that is gain because that it means to be with him. This protects us from the vanity fair of this world, to borrow the language from the pilgrim's progress. As Christian was walking through vanity fair, it is said in, in the pilgrim's progress, one mocking merchant Observe the strange behavior of faithful and Christian and say to them, What will you buy? The pilgrims looked at him with serious expressions and said, We buy the truth. Proverbs 23, 23. It's interesting how it says that in this book, when these pilgrims were walking through Vanity Fair, it caught the attention of the people of that fair how these two men were walking, traveling so lightly. They were not carrying many things. And they were not paying attention to the things of that vanity fair. Because they knew what they wanted. They had their eyes set in the right place. And they were determined to walk their way there. Nothing could stop them. That prepares for the conclusion that comes in verse 24. What exactly is this healthy eye looking at? What exactly are we looking at in heaven? Verse 24 will specify that a healthy eye see God's over money instead of money over God. The two masters. Verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and Maimon. Serve here is a very strong word. It's the word that is used for slavery. So you cannot be slave to two masters. That is the word, a very strong word. You cannot be enslaved to two 
masters. The same is for the word masters. That is the word used for Lord, both for an earthly Lord and also for the Lord. So we cannot serve or be slave to two lords. And that has two options. We'll have two options. First, we can hate one and love the other. And it doesn't simply say to love one and, well, kind of like the other. No, it's just love one and hate the other. It's a strong word. And this can, can only be explained by the fact that we either love God above everything or we are hating Him. Because not to love God is idolatry. To place anything above God is idolatry. Idolatry and idolatry is hating Him. As Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And the second option is we'll have devotion to one and we'll despise the other. And one form of despising the Lord is to be ashamed of him or ashamed of the gospel. That's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 26. For whosoever shall be Ashamed of me and of my words. Not only of him, but of his words, of his truths, of his very word that he has given us, what he said, his commandments. If someone is ashamed of him and his words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So we cannot serve him and be ashamed of Him. We cannot profess to serve Him and at the same time be ashamed of His truths and trying to, to, hide, to hide our identity, to leave Christianity as a secret agent, hiding what we believe in, what, who we serve. And the conclusion is that we cannot serve God and Maimon. Serve, again, the word used for slavery. We cannot be slave to God and Maimon. And maimon is the Aramaic word to speak of wealth, abundancy, treasures, possessions. And the point is that you cannot have two masters, but you will have a master anyway. You can either have a master who is merciful and loving, or you will have a master who is merciless and not loving at all. You can have a master who was willing to die for you on the cross. Or you can have a master who, though you pursue in this world, cannot save you in the world to come. You can have money, but if money has you, then it becomes a problem. The point that he's making here is not that simply that we should despise all things from this earth, but we cannot put our heart in any of these things above God. Craig Bloomberg, in the book, Neither Poverty Nor Riches, says this. It is arguable that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today, including many in the visible church. Health and wealth is a seducing path. See, this whole idea of living your best life now is, is a seducing and attractive path. It, it speaks to our nature, to want whatever is good now. We don't want to save it for the future. We want it now. 
But the truth is, if we put our hearts on this earth, we'll be despising God. And this will bring many sorrows to us in many different ways. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves, they the destined to themselves, through with many sorrows. It might be a seducing path indeed, but at the end will lead to many sorrows, many different ways and forms. And the very next section that Jesus will speak here in Matthew chapter 6, he will speak of an anxiety, and the, that is really an application from this section. Care and anxiety at the root is a matter of allegiance. It's where is your allegiance? Whatever you place your allegiance on, that will be where your care and anxiety are leading to, or where your comfort comes from. But I want to challenge you that the answer against materialism is not to pursue a sort of Franciscan monk type of life, but it is to be absorbed with heaven. The answer to materialism is not to despise all things in this world, but it is to be absorbed with heaven, to be loved with heaven and with God. And you will naturally hold lightly the things of this world. A world today has the wrong view, has developed the wrong view of money. By the way, if you have a well-established condition that is somehow be, that somehow became oppressive in our world, or what they call now a privilege, we should not mistake a blessing to what our world call nowadays a privilege. God can bestow blessings in our lives. And we can enjoy them, but we cannot let our hearts be governed by these things. Zacchaeus, in the Gospel of Luke, when he was transformed by Christ, he didn't give away his possessions, but from that moment onwards, he was willing to use his possessions for the glory of Christ. You see, that is the key that transforms our relationship with the things of this world. To let the world to come to govern, to govern our life here not the opposite. And perhaps for some of us to simply say, don't love money, that, that's easy. That sounds easy, right? And rather simplistic. But to say, love God and treasure heaven above all other things, that is a challenge. Because that will take precedence over whatever treasure on earth you are storing. For some it will be fame, for others, it can be power or glory or status or whatever. Many different treasures that we can pursue on this earth. And now I want to give you an eye exam so you can evaluate your own vision to determine where your eyes are fixed upon. Matthew chapter 20. The famous parable of the laborers and the vineyard in which the owner of the vineyard hires laborers and they all work for a different amount of time. And at the end of the day, he pays them the very same thing. He pays them a penny to all of them. And then Matthew 20, verses 13 to 15. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do, I do thee no wrong. 
Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that, it, that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this less, even as, I, as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? And now the big question. Is thine eye evil because I am good? So first he says that the master is free to do whatever he wants with his possessions. It's his stewardship, his divine stewardship, because the Lord is the ultimate master over the vineyard. And he's free to do whatever he wants with it. But then comes the big question. Is thine eye evil because I am good? So instead of being happy over the master's generosity, are you angry? How can you be angry over the master's generosity? This person with a bad eye thought that he didn't get as much as the other man. That he deserved better. He deserved more because of what the Lord gave to the other. Now a bad eye, the very same expression that appears in Matthew 6, verse 23. So in Matthew 20, we see that indeed an evil eye will affect our relationship with God first, with the master, and also with the things of this earth, with money even. In other words, where is your generosity? Are you gracious with others? Are you joyful over the good that comes to others as well? A bad eye doesn't rejoice with others. There's no grace, no generosity, no joy over the things that come for others. This will speak how your, how your whole body is. If your eyes or if yourself becomes a self-absorbed person, then the chief of your life becomes to glorify yourself and not God. And this is your eye exam that you can do to yourself. How much am I glad over the life of others? How much glad am I over, the, over others? Over how God has been gracious to others? That is a good eye exam that we all can do. And ultimately, I want to challenge you that a key to being happy for others is to consider heaven as well. The answer is once again to consider heaven, to be reminded of heaven. Sure, many of us often need to be reminded to consider less the things of this world. That is true. But the ultimate goal of this passage is not simply to think less of this world, but to think more of heaven, more of the things of heaven. That is the cure of spiritual myopia, to consider heaven. We should, be, we should be more overwhelmed with heaven, more anxious about heaven, about what heaven will bring and what we will have on heaven and not in this world. We should be more like John as he was in Revelations. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a great voice out of heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with, them, with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the formal things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. We should be overwhelmed by the same vision. We should be sitting there with John, beholding the glory of the heavenly Jerusalem, and be overwhelmed by this reality. To be in a city whose builder is not man, but God, as the author to the Hebrews will speak. We should be impressed by heaven and what will come. To be in the heavenly Jerusalem where cry will be no more, where sorrows will be no more, where death will be no more. We should speak like Jonathan Edwards and ask God to stamp in our eyeballs eternities, eternity, and to know that the things of this world will pass, but the things that are in heaven will endure forever. Heaven I that prefers heaven over earth and God over money and everything else. You will spare yourself from many sorrows. You will have a life filled with light and it will make your pilgrimage feel shorter in the end because every day will be a day closer to God. That is the point that Jesus is telling us here. To have our eyes more fixed on heaven. Upwards, not downwards, but upwards. To look forward to these things from the world to come. To set our treasures there. To look forward to that day, to that glorious day, to the heavenly Jerusalem. That way, we will look better to others around us. We'll be more filled with grace and joy over the life of others. And we'll desire more to be with him forever and ever. That is the cure for a spiritual myopia, to be overwhelmed with joy, to desire more heaven, to consider heaven, to look forward to that day, to be with the Master forevermore. And our prayer for tonight is that all of us would leave this place more filled with desire to be in heaven, to be with Him, with our Master and with the saints of all ages forevermore. Amen. Let's pray once again. Our Heavenly Father and great Lord, we give thanks to Thee, Lord, for all the promises in Thy Word about heaven. Oh, Lord, we give thanks that Thy Word is not silent about the future it's not silent about heaven and the things to come. But it speaks so much, Lord, and yet we consider so little. So we ask, Lord, that thou would heal our spiritual myopia and help us to see heaven more, to consider Jesus above all, to go through the vanity fair of this earth, traveling lightly, not considering these things, not going astray from our pilgrimage, but being faithful to the end. Oh, Lord, fill us with joy for one another as well, with grace for one another, 
to be rejoicing with others, with all the brothers and sisters who walk along us in this journey. And prepare us for that day, Lord, that we'll be forevermore with thee. When tears will be no more, when sorrow will be no more, and when death shall be no more. Make us citizens of heaven, Lord, fitting for heaven, prepared for heaven, to glorify thee today and forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.